0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast, gang. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. I am so thrilled to have you here. i got a great one for you. I invited my friend, the wonderful, lovely, fantastic, original anesthesia nerd, Tasha McNerney, CVT, CVPP, CA. W-X-Y-Z. She has many, many letters after her name because she's amazing. Uh, I brought her in and I gave a challenge to her. I threw down the gauntlet and said, "I, I challenge you to raise my anesthesia and pain management game without me having to buy anything. Just, I want you to take what I have now And make me better with no outside purchases. And she, uh, she picked the gauntlet up and slapped me with it, Uh, and it was amazing. She really brought the knowledge, and I demanded satisfaction, and I got it. And so that was that. She, she really um. It's a great episode. You guys check it out. She runs through super, super practical stuff that you can start doing right now with no money, no extra medications, no nothing beyond what you have at the moment. So anyway, she is incredible. Guys, a week from the day this podcast comes out, a week and a day, is the Uncharted April Conference. It's a virtual conference. It's online. You can watch it from anywhere. It is something that I am extremely fired up about. I love this conference, and um, it has been my passion project for years and years, this year is going to be no exception. It'll be, um, it's going to be all about efficiency, strategy, effective communication. I am going to be there. I am going to be doing a session on turning pain points into training programs. So if you're like, we have problems and I don't know how to get my head around uh, communicating them to my team in a way that they'll change their behaviors, and we don't. points are and turn them into actual programs that you can put into your life and your practice. That may mean that you're going to do a half day training session with your team. It may also mean that you're going to do 20 minutes because that's all that you have at the end of a staff meeting. I'm going to set you up so that you can make those calls and make those decisions and get that stuff done. So turning pain points into training programs, I will be doing that next week at the Uncharted Conference. I'm also doing client education outside the clinic, which is all about using digital education tools to get your clients up to speed and not burn exam room time doing education stuff. So education is super important, but you guys are crazy busy. This is about efficiency and getting things done. The last day of the conference, I am also unveiling my brand new workshop on setting priorities and getting things done. So this is a whole new priority setting, goal setting, uh, tracking, implementation type program. Uh, just, just meant to be honest about all the components conflicting, competing desires for your time and figuring out what are you going to do? And then also, uh, how do you free up time so that you can actually do it and push your career forward and push your practice forward? So anyway, if you're like, everything is on fire and I don't know what to do first, this is going to be great for you. That is the last day of the conference. Again, it is April 22nd through the 25th. I'll put a link in the show notes. It is at unchartedvet.com. I would love to see you there. Gang, let's get into this episode this is your show we're glad you're here we want to help you in your veterinary career welcome to the cone of shame with dr andy rourke welcome welcome tasha mcnurney the original anesthesia nerd the veterinary specialist in a uh, veterinary t- VTS, veterinary technician VTS. specialist in anesthesia and pain management, uh, founder of the uh, anesthesia nerds Facebook group, the vet anesthesia nerds conference and um, God, prolific author uh, speaker all over the world. Um, I don't know. What, what are yeah, you all? Can other- I
1: say one more thing that okay, I'm just like, yeah, super please. proud of? Um, Animal pain awareness month was my idea
0: that that's amazing yeah you should um is that on your bio did I just not read it did you write animal pain awareness month is my no, idea I on usually your bio?
1: because like I'm an IVAPM board member and it's you know IVAPM puts on animal pain awareness month that's like their jam oh yeah um so I usually give credit to them but for reals it was me Can't sitting school. in the clinic one day being like yo why does dentistry have their own month I want a month <laughs>
0: You want and so I just did it. I pulled up. Um, I pulled up the uh, the months recently. I just pulled up April to look at it, and it April is like the month for like thirty seven different animal things. It's um, it's it's hardware month. Uh, it is uh, it is flea awareness month. There is uh, there is cat. Flea there's is a there's month? a hairball like, do we have awareness aware day. Fleas. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know. <laughs> Fleas, fleas need love too. I guess there is a hairball awareness day. is like April thirtieth. Um, so no. put that on your calendar. But yeah, yeah. the pain awareness month is 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 there. It's, it's September. September. All right. Okay. Cool. Yep. Gotcha. That's the one that matters in September. Perfect. Well, thank you. For, thank you for being here. I appreciate. It. I always love having you uh, with me on the podcast. How you been?
1: I'm good. I mean, like most veterinary professionals, I'm busier than ever. And have started therapy. So, again, pretty much like 90% of vet
0: men. I good going to say, the last like you know, five out of the last seven guests I've had on the podcast mentioned that they had started therapy recently. So, uh, I think that is a trend. Yeah. Cheers to therapy. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, I mean, people pay us for our advice and insight. Like, there's nothing wrong with paying somebody else for theirs. Um, I love it cool let's talk a bit about uh, some tips and trips trip trips let's not talk about <laughs> trips let's talk about um, tips and tricks for upgrading anesthesia uh, and what I want what I want to do with this is uh, just go to the simplest upgrades that you can make like I want to challenge you and be like all right I want you to upgrade my anesthesia without me buying anything. You know, without without. Yeah, that's it. Without me buying anything, just take what I have. And by the end of the day, I want to be doing higher quality care than I am right now. And so I will put that to you and say, what do you got, Tasha McNerney? Can you do 100 percent?
1: I mean, this is one thing that, you know, pre pandemic I used to do. For a living, I would go into clinics and assess what they had in their shelves, what monitors they had, what kind of cases they were seeing, and then try to take what they had and, you know, make it work best for them and for the patients to create the best anesthetic experience. And I think that there's a lot of things that I could talk about. I have a lot of soapboxes I can stand on, but uh, let's just talk about a few today. And one of the things I think where you can, again, patient best practices is use a laryngoscope when you're intubating your patients. Sometimes I go into practices and I have technicians that are really experienced and it's almost like a badge of honor. If I can intubate that cat without a laryngoscope, right? Like I don't need that laryngoscope. I can intubate the cat. No problem. But it's really in the best interest of the cat Less tracheal irritation, you um, you know, we know that as we uh, intubate cats, they have, they're just going to get more inflamed the more times we try to intubate them. So if you utilize a laryngoscope and some local anesthetic, like a drop of lidocaine on the folds, and you utilize a little bit of lubrication on the tube of your, the end of the tube of your laryngoscope. the sorry the end of your endotracheal tube right so use your laryngoscope be able to see where you're going and that's another thing with your laryngoscopes Take the time to make sure your equipment is working properly, right? So make sure that laryngoscope has a nice bright light on it. So when you open up that cat's mouth and you put your laryngoscope in place, you can see exactly where you're going. You know where those vocal folds are. You put a little bit of local anesthetic on that. You give it 30 seconds and then you go to intubate.
0: Gotcha. You have a... Laryngoscope tattoos on your
1: arms. I do. I have
0: seen them. Yes. You have, yeah. That, that that's. I don't know what's more interesting that you have a laryngoscope uh, on your uh, tattoo or that you have two of them and they are different. Yes. Why do you have two different laryngoscope tattoos? Because I think this is uh, educational.
1: <laughs> um. Well, I have two different laryngoscope tattoos because in the world of anesthesia, you are either a team Miller person or you're a team Macintosh. And a Miller blade is a flat laryngoscope blade. And I really like Miller blades when I'm intubating things like pigs or goats. Um, But a Macintosh blade has a curve in it. And a lot of people don't like the curve because they feel like it gets in the way. But when you're intubating a cat or a dog and you place a Macintosh Blade Exactly where it's supposed to be, which is in the position um, at the base of the laryngeal opening, which is called the vanicula. So when you place your Macintosh blade in the vanicula in the proper positioning, especially in cats, the Macintosh blade gives you a beautiful visualization of the endotracheal area where you're going to go. And that's just my favorite. Now, there's other Lurugisco blades out there. So certainly if you work in human medicine, you might be using something. If you work in like, you know, if you're working with cattle or horses, you might be using like a Wisconsin blade. So there's all kinds. But the top two are a Miller or Macintosh. So usually, you know, and anesthesia nerds, we're always like, are you Team Miller or are you Team Mac?
0: And you're Team Mac for the most part.
1: I am a Team Mac.
0: (laughs) And say, well, you have them both tattooed on your arms, so I guess you can, you have credibility probably in both in both groups.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, nothing gives you street cred like laryngoscopes tattooed on your (laughs) arms.
0: I could see you you trying to read the room before you decide which sleeve to roll up. Yeah. Like. All right. So, all right. Cool. So, number one, uh, use the laryngoscope. And and I get it. I am I am as guilty as anybody of being like I don't need that thing. Come here, let me do this. Yeah. Uh, I I see the error. I see the error of my ways. I I I am a better doctor now than I am ten minutes ago. All right, cool. I got it. That's it. That's number one. Um, you got another one?
1: Yeah. So going along with the laryngoscope blade, right? We know that placing an endotracheal tube in our patients and our surgical patients is going to give us a nice patent airway. But sometimes I go into clinics and I notice that they're still using those red rubber endotracheal tubes, maybe that are like 10 years old. Yeah. Now, the problem with these red rubber endotracheal tubes, I mean, there's a couple problems with them. But One of the biggest problems is that red rubber endotracheal tubes are what's considered high pressure, low volume. So these cuffs operate by descending a rubber balloon around the tip of the tube, but you don't have to put a lot of volume in, right? You push a little bit of volume in and then the cuff blows up. Nice old rubber, red rubber tube. The problem is that because they have such a small surface area uh, of contact on the trachea, they exert a really high pressure along that small area of tracheal mucosa, which means that they can cause more tissue necrosis. And especially if you use these in cats where you're doing dentistry and you're moving their head around a lot because of dental radiography or extractions. This can cause tracheal tears and the few instances that I've seen tracheal tears in my career they have been red rubber endotracheal tubes in cats in dentistry patients. So one thing that you can do is just switch out your red rubber old endotracheal tubes, take them, put them in trash. I know it's very hard for us to throw away anything in veterinary medicine. I mean I I came from a clinic that legit had a centrifuge from 1976 i was like this centrifuge is like before i was born and the hospital manager was like well we're gonna keep it in the basement because you never know in case our other one breaks we might need this as a backup like i'm telling you guys (laughs) sometimes we can throw some things away
0: but i i know i love our people but i know people who still have dip tanks just in case, oh yeah. the world shuts down, yeah, and we just go backwards, 30 yeah. Then years. Then
1: we are very much the like just in case backup plan, yeah, yeah. You know? Like they're
0: empty, they haven't been used oh, in decades, yeah. but they're there just because you never know. It's true,
1: you never know. You never know. <laughs> my centrifuge might break, and then I might need to do this, right? I might not be able to do a uh, what did we have at my last practice? We legit had the old um, I. This is way before my time, but apparently at one time syringes were glass and you just changed out the needle and you re-sterilized glass syringes.
0: You had glass syringes at your last practice?
1: Yes, they were in the basement with the centrifuge, you know, just in case. <laughs> just in case. In case we go back to glass. case, you never know. I mean, I guess I could see, you know, if we were going to be real environmentally friendly, but... but
0: Oh, yeah. No. I have this this uh, mantra that I say when I look at things sometimes. I'm like, well, I don't see me regretting having it, but I see me regretting not having it. And <laughs> I think that that's the classic Like I see them standing next to the trash can going, I don't see me regretting having this here. And so let's put these glass syringes back on the shelf.
1: Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. I mean... Listen, I really like the fact that we can keep some stuff around in vet men, and we we are very good at utilizing everything we have and utilizing it to the best of our abilities. And I'm going to put a little shout out there. If anyone is going through their veterinary basement and you find any kind of ancient veterinary inhaler, I have been looking for one of these in antique shops forever. So if anyone out there finds a Morton inhaler, I'm willing to pay you top money. DM me.
0: That's that's great. Just some interior decorating? Oh, yeah.
1: I just think they're really fascinating. So.
0: All right. So there, next there time you go. You standing offer. Of if you're like, we've got this inhaler from World War II. Uh and 100%. I don't think we're going to go back to it we finally we're finally ready to part with it yeah. Tasha McNerney is your lady that's that's it <laughs> Yeah right, very cool all right. all right. Cool. So, so, yeah, I, definitely all get rid of um, those red seen- rubber
1: endotracheal tubes. Um, I, I just used to blow them up uh, and then get them to tear and then act like I didn't know what happened. And then be like, well, I guess we have <laughs> to order new ones guess and right. the clear ones. <laughs> and the nice thing about oh. the clear ones, so why I'm telling people to get the clear ones is not only can you look at the inside the clear ones and see that you're where you're supposed to be, you can see that breath moving in and out. You could see if anything is occluding within that tube. But then also the clear endotracheal tubes are high volume, low pressure. So they put less pressure on the tracheal wall.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I see those red the red endotracheal tubes still laying around all the time. Uh, it's funny when you say that. I a lot of them, a lot of them have like the feel of old plastic. You know what I mean? Yes. Like when you blow them up, they kind of crackle and crinkle like a, it's like an old tire uh kind of feel to it. Yeah, that that makes sense. I, I I understand why people are just like you know what, let's just you never know, let's just keep them in the drawer. I I think I think this is a good this is a good excuse just to go ahead and get those out and and check them. All right. I'm with you. Still, another 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 good one. Um, You know, like I said, I I think you're right. People just kind of hold on to stuff, and so maybe it's you have made the case very well. Uh, those things just need to get put away. All right. I love it. uh, You got another one?
1: I do have another one. All right. So this one might require you changing a little bit more than just actually using the laryngoscope that's in your drawer. Um, But what I will tell you is that you already have these things in your practice. You just might not be utilizing them in this way. And this is butorphanol and buprenorphine. And okay. what I've kind of heard out there on the anesthesia nerds and in the interwebs is that we utilize buprenorphine or buprenex quite frequently for cats. And there are some practices that don't utilize buprenorphine for canine patients. And then sometimes what I'm hearing about is canine patients undergoing really painful abdominal surgeries with just butorphanol as the main analgesic. And we know that butorphanol does not function as a really good analgesic. We know that it is a kappa agonist, which means very low analgesia, but really good sedation. And unfortunately, butorphanol is a mu antagonist, right? We, we know that it goes to the mu receptor and blocks it, which that's not what we want. We want that new receptor to be activated because that's going to provide a nice feeling of euphoria, analgesia. You know, different ways that the brain is going to interpret those pain signals. That's what we want, and buprenorphine can provide that. And buprenorphine can be used in canines. It can be used in felines. It can be used in rabbits. It can be used in ferrets. It's a really nice opioid. It gives, you know, you can be used it in a variety of ways. You can give it IV. Uh, I know with cats, we give it quite a bit oral transmucosally. You can even give it oral transmucosally to small dogs. You usually just have to up your dose. And it does become cost limiting. I mean, I wouldn't give an oral transmucosal dose of buprenorphine to a German shepherd, right? Because the volume is just going to be so much. But I would certainly give a intravenous dose of buprenorphine to a German shepherd that might be undergoing gastric foreign body surgery, especially if the choices on my shelf are butorphanol or buprenorphine, right? If we're going to go do something that is painful to this patient, I'm going to choose the analgesic on my shelf that's going to provide the most analgesia. And if I'm looking at butorphanol versus buprenorphine, we should be choosing buprenorphine.
0: Okay. All right. So a couple of things. Do you think that vet clinics are using more butorphanol and buprenorphine now than they were before because of uh, increasing restrictions on your um, like C2 opioids? Oh,
1: 100%. Yes. And I have heard from some vet clinics that honestly, the paperwork and the regulation that goes around just simply getting scheduled to opioids into their clinic is a headache they don 't want to deal with
0: so yeah i'm I 'm seeing more of that yeah. of work vet clinics are just going i don't want to have this like I get like not wanting to have fentanyl. like I, yeah. I get that you know that's that's dicey stuff these days um, and if you 're living in you know prescription uh prescription drug uh hot spots and things like that where have people have real problems. I, I get not wanting to have it. Maybe even the building just for security reasons and things like that. I I, I get it. I, I'm just trying to sort of balance those things. So I, I I I hear what you're saying about buprenorphine. I think that there's also this. Um, it's one of those almost like it's it's a legend. I think a lot of us. I, I tell you, when I look at the German Shepherd and I think of buprenex, I'm not going to lie. I think wow, that looks expensive. Uh, just just when I look at it, do you think that's fair?
1: Oh, I think that's fair, Um, but I think if you're looking at the German shepherd who's about to undergo anesthesia, the nice thing is uh, you don't have to go crazy high on a dose of buprenorphine, Right. right? And when we combine buprenorphine with other analgesics like lidocaine, right? Give a little lidocaine before your propofol, dirt cheap. MAC reducing yeah. multimodal analgesia, so it's all about choosing the right protocol for the for that patient. But again, if you're about to do something painful for that patient, um, even if buprenorphine is going to cost the client, you know, fifty dollars more, I think we're doing the patient a disservice. Yeah, if we don't give yeah, them the and, best and pain r- control.
0: Uh- and I definitely don't don't want to be that vet. I am not trying to make that case of this is expensive, so we're not going to do it. Let them hurt. Like that's not that's not what I am saying at all. I am just I am just trying to be open about like okay, these are these are the thoughts that I have as I look at, at what we have in the stock and I and I look at the dog. And so, can you um, can you talk a little bit about? I know this is something that you are uh, you've talked to me about a number of times before, but I always like to to sort of revisit the conversation with you. I am using things like uh, dexmedetomidine, dextomator, uh, and with Buprenex or uh, Butorphanol, I have heard or I, I remember reading that there is increased potency or increased uh, analgesia with a combination of those things. I wonder how many doctors look at their Butorphanol and say, I wouldn't use this by itself but if i use it with this other thing then then maybe it's okay or maybe yeah maybe it's okay for painful surgeries can can you talk a little bit about that interaction oh yeah
1: 100 um let's just talk about all the things i have tattooed on my body because i mean every, almost everybody knows i love dexmenetomidine it's one of my favorite drugs legit have it tattooed on my body because it's such a great versatile amazing sedative. You're just like a
0: you're like a walking anesthesia textbook at you're, this point. Yeah. You know, like you just got diagrams. 100%. And, uh, I just got
1: my newest tattoo is the <laughs> dear lord. It's the equation for flow, so it's a physics equation, yeah. but it's the equation that shows that as you change the radius and length of a tube, It changes the flow, right? And the cool thing about this equation is that it's utilized when we decide our endotracheal diameter, when we do our catheters, like everything. This equation comes into play so much for anesthesia. So that's a little side tangent. Anyway, hit me up if you want pictures or follow me on Instagram. But when we're talking about dexmedetomidine working synergistically with opioids, yes. And dexmedetomidine on its own functions as an analgesic. But when you put it together with an opioid, even a weak opioid like butorphanol, it does up the ante, right? I always say dexmedetomidine is like the cream in your Oreo cookie, right? I wouldn't want to give a premed of just the cookie. I want the cream and the cookie, so I want the sedation and the analgesia together for a premed. Mm-hmm. Now I love dexmedetomidine, and certainly for minor procedures like a laceration repair, or even a feline castration, if you came to me and you said, I'm going to do a combination of butorphanol and dexmedetomidine, and then maybe a local block, I think that's a very acceptable, um, decent sedation, decent pain control for those procedures, right? But if you told me, I have a dog that is extremely painful in their abdomen you know they have a gastric foreign body i'm looking at uh, is this patient you know really painful and we're about to undergo a long painful surgery even a combination of buprenorphine and dexmedetomidine is not and usually enough analgesia for that and then there's the caveat of if they are a gastric foreign body that is now coming into your clinic and they are compromised in any way, if you think they're potentially septic, if they are, um, for some reason, a hemoabdomen, this is not a candidate for dexmedetomidine. So now I have to think about other things that I could add in. And again, I'm going to push for the lidocaine because especially for abdominal surgeries, we know that lidocaine... You know, lidocaine in itself is max sparing, which is great. We don't want to rely on heavy doses of inhaling anesthesia during uh, surgery. We want to get away from turning our ISO up to three and just letting them ride. Um, so adding in things like lidocaine, if you have a really sick patient, can be nice. It's antiarrhythmogenic and systemic analgesia. So yes, dexmedetomidine with butorphanol certainly if you had a feline neuter or a light laceration repair, but as we get into like really um, deep visceral pain, that's not enough.
0: Great. So, uh, so takeaways for me: I need to be using more lidocaine. I, I think that that's I think that's definitely true in, in in my practice in general. So, lidocaine and buprenorphine sliding forward in the drawer, uh, butorphanol sliding further back into the back of the drawer is kind of where my head's out here. For so, surgery, that's awesome.
1: right? Butorphanol is a really great sedative. And that's what I think we need to shift. I think that if people stop thinking of butorphanol as an analgesic pre-med and start thinking about it as a sedative to take the edge off, right? I mean, that little shih tzu that comes in that can barely breathe, but you need to get chest rads on it. Do they necessarily need a heavy hitting analgesic? no. They need a little something to calm them down because we want to be able to take chest dreads. Welcome, butorphanol, like perfect drug for that. And especially if you combine butorphanol together with something like alfaxalone, give a little IM injection. Put them in the oxygen chamber to let them sit. Like that's where butorphanol can really shine.
0: Yeah. No, that's great. Awesome. Thanks, man. I feel like I've got a little bit. Uh, I'm looking around at my toolbox, which I already had, and I'm feeling a little bit sharper at using it. So thank you. Thank you. That's wonderful.
1: Excellent. Hopefully, everybody's going to go home to their clinic and check the batteries and their laryngoscope now.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. That's that's. I'm totally gonna go through and be like, hey, uh, are we uh, are we Team Macintosh or are we Team Miller? <laughs> or is, like that's that's my. I'm gonna I'll, I'll fill out the rest of the staff uh, and make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, And we'll. I don't know which tribe I'm in. Uh, it, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with the staff because it makes my life easier. And then and then we'll we'll eject the other people.
1: Yeah, I mean, let me know. And you know, if anybody needs the name of a tattoo artist, like I got one in Philly. Oh. If anybody else wants to get some anesthesia tattoos. Yep.
0: I'm, I'm going to get the Krebs cycle. Ooh, like a nice back piece. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> backwards, though, so that I can see it in the mirror. I've, I've learned it like 37 times. I'm just going to get it on my body and then I'll have it. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to think of like what your wife would say if you came in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my wife's a college professor of biology. She would she'd be into it. I bet she'd I bet be there she'd, like.
1: Correcting the tattoo art. Like, no, oh, no, that's, that's so. No, this. Oh,
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be it. I would get. I would. I would get it wrong in some minuscule way, and she would divorce me because she couldn't handle <laughs> that I had. Not that I had the Krebs cycle, but that there was a small error in it. And she would just be like, I can't look at you. I cannot look at you. (laughs) And that would be the end of the marriage. So, all right, Tasha Majority, thank you for being here. Where can people find you online and learn more about the Anesthesia Nerds group and conference?
1: Oh, wow. I mean, we're always on the, the administrators and I are always on the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds on Facebook. We are currently um, undergoing a big construction on our website. So you still can go to our old website, which is veterinary, uh, nerds.com, but we are currently revamping it so that we can have more continuing education articles. We're going to get some videos up there. Um, Stephen Satal, who's one of my in- administrators, who's fantastic, has a video series on intubating pigs, which uh, in it. A- if anybody out there has intubated a pig and knows what kind of a pain it can be, these are some nice videos. So we're trying to get some more information out there. As far as the conference, we have made the decision to not have an in-person conference this year. Um, we just want to make sure that everybody stays as safe as possible. And we're going to bring it back next year in person in Las Vegas and just have like a big, amazing time nerding out in Vegas on anesthesia
0: going to be fantastic thanks again for being here Tasha
1: thanks for having me
0: and that is what we've got for you today. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Thanks to everybody who wrote a uh, iTunes review. We now have about 105 iTunes reviews. It is amazing. I love it. It makes me so happy. I really appreciate it. Thanks to everybody who gets feedback there, who gets feedback on our Facebook page when we put up posts to the episodes. I, I read that stuff. Uh, I take the good and the bad, and I try to make a great podcast that you guys will enjoy that's super useful to you. So anyway, thanks for those who engaged there, and thanks for those who, you know, tag their friends and share the, uh, share the podcast and, you know, just generally, um, make this job worth doing. I really appreciate it. You guys take care of yourselves. Be well. I hope to see you next week. Uncharted. Otherwise, see you back here in your, uh, earbuds, uh, very soon. Be well. Bye-bye.